I've been stuffed in your pocket for the last hundred days. When I don't get my bath, I take it out on the slaves. So grease up your baby for the ball on the hill. I'll polish them rockets now and swallow those pills and say, oh. We got Ed and Mitchell here, and uh, yeah, I just want to briefly mention. You know, it's important to know your local terrain if possible. Know, you know, your areas that you can go to. You know, the water sources, stuff like that. If you can, just try to have an idea of maybe some safe spots you might be able to get out, just to have a backup plan. It's not bad to have Plan B, C, and D out there in your mind. You know, like like Mitchell said, the what ifs. So, you know, if, you're gonna, if you have to, bug, if you're in the city and you have to bug out, uh, long before you have to bug out, you should go select some areas and kind of learn about them a little bit, uh, visit them and study them uh, uh, before the bad thing happens. You know, get some idea of where you're going to go. Uh, think about uh, the route to get there. How you're going to get there? Uh, I was talking to a guy in Detroit. And uh, he said, well, the best way to, you know, it's like if something bad happens, well, you're going to have gridlock uh, in vehicles getting out of town. And he said, well, you know, I just go down to the to, to the lakefront and get a boat, and the boat can take me out to the mountains, and I don't have to fight all the traffic and stuff. <laughs> so, you know, think about those things. Think about how you're going to get there, you know, and, and where to go, and know the place that you're going to. Have some idea what it's like before you uh, before you actually go there. Uh, that's good. So, right. So, right. Yeah. You know, so, so the uh, there's a mindset. On, there's a mindset on this. Uh, uh, back in uh, '72, uh, I was I went to Korea, and uh, uh, you know we, we 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 would have to go up on the DMZ, and we'd have to take these trails uh, to go up there. So when I first got there. Uh, there's some guys that had stepped on landmines. The North Korean infiltrators would come and put landmines on the trails and stuff. And, you know, I saw some bugs blown off and stuff. And so, you know, I'm just over there. I'm thinking, well, yeah, yeah, I'd like to avoid all that. So I, I reasoned, well, you know, if I walk in the bushes, they're not going to put landmines in the bushes because nobody walks in the bushes. They're going to always put the landmine on the trail. So if I walk in the bush... We're in the bush are going to put a landmine to get me. So, so out in the bush, it's like it's hard to, to figure out where I'm going to go or where I'm going to be. And, and the other soldiers were like, hey, uh, an infiltrator can uh, slit your throat walking in the bushes. And I says, well, how many guys have had their throats slit walking in the bushes, you know? <laughs> and how many guys have had their balls blown off walking on the trail? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they laughed at me, and then they followed me walking out in the bushes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's it's like, it's like, so this is just that mentality. It's like, you, you know, in the military, you have avenues of approach, and you train your weapons, and you set ambushes and stuff on these avenues of approach, on, on trails, on roads, and stuff like that. So don't walk on trails and roads. I mean, I went through about three steer training things where, where they were trying to capture me. It was escape and evasion and stuff. I just simply never walked on a trail, and I never got caught. I never had to go to the, 
the prison camp or nothing because I never got caught because I never walked on trails and paths and roads and stuff. So, uh, so that should give you a clue right there. Like if you're going to go out in the, the bush, you know, you're not going to be following trails and roads and stuff because that's right. where it's easy to find you. And you don't want to be found. You don't want to be seen. If you can be seen, you can be hit. If you can be found, you can be fixed and destroyed. Okay. So it's a survival thing. And the objective is you're not winning anything or capturing anything. Your only objective is to live. Okay. Right. So you do everything that, that advances that objective living. Okay. So. Right. Ed, you got I any thoughts wanted... on that? Go ahead, Ed. I just, pardon? Go ahead, Ed. Uh, some, somewhere along the line, I, I remember a story of a, they were observing, it might have been like uh, that uh, Carlos Hathcock, that sniper from Vietnam, but anyway, they could, they could see anything, uh, Except a trail of these rifle. The Vietnamese, the Viet Cong, were carrying rifles, and they could see nothing but black. You know, like it looked like. Well, there there were the rifles, but they they were all camouflaged except for the rifle, and they could see like rifles walking down the trail. <laughs> I don't, you know, so you got to think about everything uh, as far as camp uh, concealing and, you know, long range observation. But, uh, no, thank you so much, uh, Mitchell. Uh, your uh, your knowledge is very good. And uh, thank you, Travis. And I might be a regular caller, but we made it to Texas. And uh, thank you, sir. And uh, I will, I'm signing off. Airborne. Yeah. Hey, Ed, I appreciate you calling in. Thanks a lot. I really do. Okay, thank you. Glad you made it safe back to Texas and uh, got a new home. And I'm sure Texas is going to be happy to have a... Got her out of Brooklyn. Escaped from New York. (laughs) Oh, if we're going from New York, that's right. I'm sorry. I thought you were from Chicago. Well, yeah, I'm from Chicago. We're all from Chicago, but we're in Texas now. (laughs) You know, know, if you're you're a a big surfing... uh, Advocate, why are you living in Iowa? If you're a gun nut, why are you living in Chicago? <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, guys, thank you very much. All right, Ed, take care. Thank you for calling in. Yeah, quick point, what you said uh, and, and what Ed uh, elaborated on is you really want to watch those trails. You're not, those are like, you know, to a tracker, that's like a highway marker, and they're looking on those those trails. So even if you cross a trail, you have to be super careful about trails and and also visibility. You know, if a trail's wide open at a certain point, you know, if you have to cross over that trail, but you know, perpendicular, you got to think that you could be seen for X amount of distance on either side. So that's why you want to try to cross something at a bend, you know, where there's less visibility and. All these things exactly. have to be thought of exactly. if you're, you know, being hunted by an apex predator. Also that, 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 uh, 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 usually you want to set, set up an ambush uh, on a bend also. Right. Because okay? uh, they set up amb- ambushes, well, especially for vehicles because they have to slow down around a bend. So, uh, but on foot trails, they'll, they'll do that also. So, 
right. it's so that, because the ambushers are not are not as easy to see there. So you you have to you, you have to can. There's a lot of things that you have to think about, but like I said, just make it the what if game. You know, like what right. would you do? You know, and and stuff. It's it's like uh, uh, well, well, say say you you've got you're in a vehicle, you got to clear a an objective, uh, I mean, an obstruction, sometimes a tree across the uh, road or just some, some stuff there, some detritus. Well, you know, generally you tie a rope about 50 feet on and you, you you back away and pull it away because they'll booby trap it with explosives or they'll even put snipers out there to, to cover the uh, obstacle, okay? Mm-hmm. So uh, so what, 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 what I would do is uh, I would actually put the explosives 50 foot back so when they tie the rope on to the vehicle to pull it where the vehicle is when they pull the thing that would trigger the explosives but the explosive instead of being up at the obstacle i would put it back where they're they're going to be to pull it back which of course made me carry a hundred foot of rope okay but i mean <laughs> this could go on and on and on okay right i mean it's just you're you're dealing with human beings human beings can think they can think ahead and they can uh, uh guess it was sort of like it's sort of like uh in world war one the, the the germans like to booby trap the houses so so when you open the door to the house it would set off the explosives and uh kill you right so the the americans would uh they'd say oh yeah it's getting this ditch we'll tie a rope to the door and then we'll get in the ditch and we'll pull the door open with the rope and that'll set off the explosion in the house, but we'll be safe. So the Germans adapted. They started putting the explosive in the ditch where the guys right. would go to shelter to pull the rope. So, I mean, it's just, it's a dynamic process, you know, uh, and humans are very crafty and stuff. So you have to kind of think ahead. Uh, always think this, that complacency kills. Don't get complacent, you know. Right. And think ahead. And, and it's, what would you another do? thing to realize is, uh, you know, even even the dumbest human is still an apex predator. And it's, you, yes. know, we, yes. you know, when we talked about inflicting harm and, you know, people are predators and, you know, we you just you want to want to avoid an altercation at all costs, in my opinion. You know, there, there, there oh, is yes, no yes, Rambo. Well, even even a very stupid person. Uh, can just be like a, a bull, just be a blunt instrument, and they can destroy you by just being that blunt instrument, just by coming on uh, uh, hot and very heavy, you know, right. and stuff. So, 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 so there's a thing. There's brute force, and then there's craftiness. Okay, and either one of them can be effective against you. Right. Right. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, gotta keep that in mind. Guys, we're at the, uh, we've got a, another hour. If you guys have any questions or topics you want to bring up and have Mitchell and I discuss, uh, 512-248-8252. New caller, old caller, you're all welcome. Call in. Chat with us on these topics. Um, yeah, like I said, I've been uh, just kind of going over some videos and watching some stuff in my free time, reading some stuff and uh, let's talk about driving and, and convoy. I mean, if you are getting out of town, you know, you're going to want to be careful. You don't want to get stuck in gridlock, obviously, if you you know, think you're going to get on the highway and, you know, it's two days after something happens. Uh, you know, who knows? It might be 
stuck. You know, they might have closed it off. So you're going to want to know those back roads and uh, have extra yeah, fuel yeah, if always, you can. Always figure uh, uh, alternate routes. And, uh, you know, one of the things I, I, I learned to do in, in, in police pursuit driving is, uh, is, is, you know, we're all, we're all like programmed to follow our lane, obey traffic signals and stuff like that. But when you have to chase people or you're trying to escape from people, uh, forget about the roads. Just think, think about this. Change your point of view to where can this vehicle go? It can go on sidewalks. It can go across yards. It can go through parks. It can go through, you know, just, just where can the vehicle go? That's what's important. Not where the lanes or the paths are, but, but where can it travel through? Okay. So, uh, that, that, that will get you past a, a lot of, uh, obstacles. Also, you're not gonna, you're not, it, it is not a Mad Max thing because, you know, there, there probably won't be fuel for very long. And right. uh, so your vehicle, your your road trip is just to get out of town, just to get right. to a more rural area. That that is that is it. You don't want to try to live in the car. Now, the advantage of that is 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 uh, in the the beginning, the first uh, the first week or so, there probably will not be very many people setting up ambushes and uh, putting right. obstacles out to, to stop you and stuff. So, so that initial phase when you're just getting out of town, you could probably you could probably make it without having to to face like land pirates and ambushes and stuff like this. Okay, so uh, uh, you know, don't think about your vehicle as a, a long term uh, uh, survival uh, thing, uh, especially if it's in, in a roady area. Now, if you're out west and it's in the middle of nowhere and you're just going across open country in a a vehicle, you might be able to have that vehicle with you a little bit longer, but eventually you're not going to have fuel. So you know that that's going to it just it's, it's it's better to you know eventually everybody's going to have to uh, their main uh, uh, method of transportation will be LPCs, okay, and those are leather personnel carriers. Your <laughs> shoes. You're going to have to hump it. You're going to have to walk. Okay. Right. So. Uh, uh, that 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 initially using a vehicle to put a distance between you and the the big city uh, uh, is critical because the biggest threat you're going to have is other hungry people is going to be the biggest threat to you. Okay, right. uh, when people get desperate and hungry, they're gonna they won't mind killing you and taking your stuff. Okay, I mean, you know, which is also the problem with staying in one place is that. Well, they know you're there, you know. Right. They'll come. Uh, like, 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 like where, where I live, it's out in the middle of nowhere. People, people come up in in uh, ATVs and scout around. People are already looking for what homes they're going to attack when everything falls apart. Uh, so, so I'm not talking about necessarily people in the big city, but some of the smaller towns out in the countryside, say towns of five thousand to fifteen thousand people. Uh, uh, like out there, there's people that live there that go out and look at the rural areas, and they're already picking out and scouting out places that they're going to attack if everything goes to, to shit. Okay, right. So, and let's t- let's yeah, talk about people that for a doing that already. Because yeah, that that's that to me has been a huge problem. I remember that show that that stupid show uh, Doomsday Preppers, and I I think I caught an episode or two, and I just remember this one guy who just said something like. Well, I'll just take from people that are more prepared than me. 
and of course I'm thinking to myself, well, good luck, you know, trying. And, and my second thought was like, man, you're the type of dude that's going to steal grandma's last can of beans. Like, <laughs> really? Like, oh, yeah. I don't know. Like, I guess, I guess what I was saying is, um, you might want to really consider who you could partner up with. Cause you know, humans, we do need a community of people of like mind to work together. And I hate to use that word, but we need to be able to work together with different skill sets, um, different backgrounds and things. And that's how we're going to be able to be resourceful and truly, you know, adapt to this kind of change we're talking about. I mean, if you're out there just uh, with your family, it's going to be a lot harder for you as a sole provider, you know, taking care of this family unit, you know? So I don't know. I've always yeah, thought you you know, like these families are going to have to team better. up together. Yeah. And I mean, uh, and it's, it, it might be a good idea to stress test your neighbors uh, before the the bad day comes. I mean, try to figure out their their mindset and their personality before uh, bad things happen because uh, you, you, you kind of want to be forewarned about that also. Uh, and then this is an interesting thing too because you know what kind of people are good in a fight. You know, it's uh, it's like I, I had many experiences in my life where where I had to have somebody have my back or I had to have somebody else's back in a gunfight and whatnot. And, uh, it's like, who, who, what kind of person will go all the way with you that, that will have your back no matter what? And what I learned is, you know, my assumption at first was what I saw in the movies, the big muscular guy, you know, the, the confident fellow and stuff that he would have your back. And, and then the little Melkitos guy, well, he's not necessarily going to be good in a fight. Well, that's a, a very wrong assumption, okay, because, because some of the guys who, who were solid, solid backup were not uh, these big, bulky, handsome guys. They, they were kind of scrawny fellas. Uh, I even went, I even went to, uh, I even went to, uh, Chapman School of Seamanship once and they had a SEAL team come in there. And I was expecting to see like Jesse Ventura and people like this. And they were like little scrawny guys. They were not big, muscular, you know, uh, bodybuilders and stuff. They were not what the movies show, you know, and, uh, but, you know, they're solid. What those guys are is they have endurance. They can endure for a very long time. They can, they can, they, they can, they can handle it. Okay. So, uh, uh there was a, there was a, an incident. My, my, when I was little, my dad, uh, he was a, he was a border patrolman. Then he became a immigration officer. And he told me the story once. He said he, he had these two guys, uh, two Canadian guys he had to transport back to, to, they were prisoners. He had to take them back to Canada. So uh, what he was doing is he he flew them from Memphis to Cincinnati, and a couple other immigration officers were going to pick them up in Cincinnati, and they were going to fly with them uh, with them up to uh, Toronto. Right. So uh, one guy was a real big, mean-looking guy with scarred face. The other guy was a very mild-mannered, uh, easygoing guy. So when he got off the airplane in Cincinnati, the, the two other immigration guys came up. The first thing they did was they they, they sort of latched on, was very careful around the big, mean-looking guy. And the other guy was, you know, they weren't really paying that much attention to him. My dad told him, he says, uh, this big guy, yeah, he, he wrote some bad checks. Okay, this little guy there here, he's murdered six people in Canada. 
<laughs> the little milk guy. He's murdered six people. This is the guy who will kill you. The big guy's not going to hurt you. He just wrote some bad checks, you know. So it's so. My point is, is you can't really. Sometimes you don't know until it happens how people are going to react. I, I, I've had big muscular guys that I thought could kick my butt back me up that ran that ran away when the bad thing happened. So. Um, so just looking at somebody, you can't tell. It's 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 more than about physical strength and appearances. It's it's also about character. Okay, and some people just they just you know they may not be big and stuff, but they they will they will stick with you uh, to the very end. They'll put their life on the line for you. And stuff, right. Okay. So That's why I, I think the, the family units will be very strong. Yes. Working together, you know, if you have two, three, you know, maybe even up to five families working together, then you're able to divvy out responsibilities like guard duty and come up with shifts. And, you know, you're, of course, you're going right. to alternate exactly. the times you do this and your patterns. And you don't want to be a creature right. of habit where somebody could no, pick no. up on these patterns of your patrols and what you guys do to secure your little neighborhood or facility or whatever. Um Oh, exactly. Just all these thoughts have to come come out, and of course, I think you know at the end of the day there are still a lot will be a lot of good people, but of course you know how you'll have the predators out there that'll prey on the people that want to help people. So it'll be good for oh, a little yeah. while to form these alliances until until it becomes real bad, you know, like Walking Dead status, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. you know the war yeah. the warlord status. So. I guess there'll be that yeah, sweet right. spot where you really want will want to work with a commu- uh, uh, um, a bunch of like-minded individuals to have the same goal of survival. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh no, building alliances is is sort of important and stuff. It's uh, like I said, it's if nothing else, it's the guard duty. But but say you know, prepare yourself to be just by yourself. Okay. Because mm-hmm. if you if you know what to do, if you're by yourself, then 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 everybody else is just a, a force multiplier. Okay, it right. just it just adds things uh, adds things to it. Uh, now there are human beings that can be a drag on you also. Okay, right. if, if if somebody's a drag on you, you need to step away. Okay, because they're they're a hazard to you. There are people like that. They can be a hazard to you. Uh, you know, if that's going to be they, that's going to be one of those things we're going to have to learn to deal with those tough decisions and how to yep, how to deal yep. with those, that cold hard reality and yeah, I agree. Oh, you're yeah, going to have to yeah. cut somebody loose if that's if they're bringing the whole team down, the whole family unit down. Well, um, you know, I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> but at the same time, it's oh, got to yeah. be you know respectful and humane and and like you know you can't just cast somebody to the wolves at the same time, you know. So yeah, I don't know. That's, that's uh, going to be a you know interesting situation. I I don't think any of us really want to think about and deal with. But let's let's no, let's talk uh, about gunfights a little bit. You know, obviously, I think you told me this. Your first object of the gunfight is not to get shot, <laughs> right? Yes, yes, yes. So the, there's two aspects to every gunfight. The first one, the first aspect is to not get shot yourself, and the second aspect is to shoot the other guy. Okay. So to not get shot, you just want to take cover and concealment. What if you're caught out in the open? What should you do? You should drop to the ground uh, right. because because if you're laying flat, it's harder to hit you. 
Okay. You you present less of a target. So so you can get behind cover something that stops bullet, or you can uh, you can also just uh, present yourself as a as a smaller target. Okay. So so for example, uh, you would never shoot over cover. You always want to shoot around it, and you keep yourself as low to the ground as as possible when you do that. Okay. So so you want to avoid getting shot because there there's nothing. There's nothing good about, you know, I mean, it could, a, a, a relatively minor wound could be fatal after everything collapses, okay? So you really must not get shot. Uh, and, and the other, the, 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 the second part, the shooting the other person, uh, you know, I, I, so many times I went out with people shooting and they, they would like, I'd say, okay, well, this is your, this is your opponent, you know, and this is your gun. You gotta shoot them before you, you, they shoot you, you know. And, and, and I saw so many people like, we go bam, and then they look to see if they hit them. And, uh, you know, you gotta break yourself of these habits, you know. It's like when, when you're in a gunfight, you shoot until that other person goes down and it presents no harm to you anymore. Okay. Wow. And you don't, and we're not talking about, self-defense in a civilized society. We're talking about self-defense when there is no civilization, when there is no law, when there is no police, when there is no courts, okay? You need to make sure that you take them out, okay? You keep shooting until they're down, all right? Right. And and then you don't want them following you or, or even telling anybody else which way you went. Okay, so you have to think about you have to think about these things. Uh, so, so in choice of weapons, listen. If you have a like a, a high powered rifle, a seven point six two millimeter like three hundred eight rifle, uh, you can shoot people six hundred yards away. Okay, whereas uh, if you if you know th- think about a, a, a an AR fifteen is three hundred. Uh, a 7.62 main battle rifle is 600. It's the same as in boxing. If if you can have longer reach, have longer reach. It depends on your environment too. Uh, like if you're in relatively open spaces, you need a, you need a high powered rifle that you can hit things far away because the closer they get to you, the more chances they have of hitting you. Okay. Right. And it's it's like in my neighborhood, I would go out and I, I would. I would walk with people around their property, and I'd say, well, if somebody attacks your house, uh, what are you going to do? And I says, no, you need to get on this ridge behind your house. Uh, you need to have a high-powered rifle, and you need to pick them off, okay? Your house is, you're not going to defend your house. You're just going to be, your, your house is a death trap. You need to get outside your house, and your house is the decoy to bring the other people in, and then you pick them off at a distance. And if if you have a three oh eight and they have a five five three, you have reach over them. So it's safer for you, okay, to do that. But conversely, if you're in a very tight environment, like an urban environment, uh an urban environment, uh, a high powered rifle is still good, but but day to day you're gonna have more close quarters combat. So so an AR fifteen or AK forty seven platform is 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 more amenable to to what you're going to mostly be doing, okay? Right. So, in a pistol, your pistol is. Don't think of your pistol as a as a, a weapon that you're going to kill anything more than ten feet away. You know, right? It's just ten feet is what it's for. That's when they're right on top of you. That's what your pistol is for. 
Otherwise, right. you need a rifle. You need something powerful uh, uh, to 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 take them down. And for uh, an, an AR-15 thing, they, they, there's two main types of bullets. You, you have those M885, the green tip uh, military bullets. They suck. They're inaccurate. Uh, they don't do much uh, damage to people. Uh, and then they have the M193, which is just a bullet that it travels with a little bit of yaw to it. So when it hits people, it tends to, to do a lot more trauma on their body, and it gives you more knockdown power and stuff. So, uh, you know, keep, keep in mind the ballistics of, of what you've got and the kind of damage that it does. So right. uh, the M885 is meant to penetrate like a quarter inch of steel, but that may not be the big issue that you, you have to deal with, okay? Uh, causing the trauma to knock them down and stop them uh, is probably more important than just penetrating something. Right. Right. So, <clears throat> what's your thoughts on the shotguns? Is that is just, that just a strictly, you know, home invasion? Oh, yeah, I guess we got a break here, but I do want to talk about oh. that real quick. All right. Yeah, let's talk about that after the break. All right, cool. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth. Health Simple with Colorado Shioji. Fact bit number one. What goes in must come out. Whatever we ingest, breathe in, or transfer by contact must be expelled. Expelled directly as burned calories, through perspiration, respiration, or expelled via urinary and gastric channels. Every element that is not properly used or removed by our bodies become toxins. And toxins, as we know, are causal to every disease and ailment. Toxins are what makes us subpar, unable to be at our best. Be your healthy best by cleansing your body of daily and deeply embedded toxins. Live stronger, and we hope live longer. Shilajit, legit Shilajit, that is, like Colorado Shilajit, is perhaps the greatest homeopathic whole body remover of toxins made by Mother Earth. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Email Tom at republicbroadcasting.org. T-O-M at republicbroadcasting.org. 
Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. Mitch and I are talking about firearms and uh, just a quick reminder, you know, training and know-how and get out there and practice and uh, definitely recommend training. I talked to a guy in one of my travels that was a private military, you know, um, you know, Blackwater type for years and he was out of it at the time. I was just asking him some questions and, you know, he was just saying, yeah, I get, get training, you know, if, if all these guys that spend all this money on their their little toys would just go out and get some training, they'd be much better off. So I just remember him telling me that. And what's your thought on that, Mitchell? Well, I think so. You know, just just start out like uh, uh, you know you're in a in a position and the target's in a still position. Get good at shooting at just the target, and then uh, you move and shoot at the target. Okay, and get good at that. Then make the target move because, in reality, the target's going to move. So get good at shooting a, a moving target. Okay, then then of course you move and the target's moving. Get used to that also, uh, and also also uh, learn to sh- if you're right-handed, learn to shoot with your left. What if your right hand gets wounded? You you need to right. be able to to uh, uh, still be effective with your off hand. Okay, and, and and also shoot with off eye and good eye, because you could lose an eye, and you still right. have to be able to acquire a target. So you need to practice those things, okay, so that so that you'll you'll be ready for it. Just be careful when you're practicing with moving the movements and stuff like that. I've seen people get killed on still ranges. Okay, just you have to you have to be careful. Still, point right. getting shot practicing. Okay. There'll be right. plenty of time to get shot later, okay, in the real <laughs> life thing, okay? Don't do it while you're practicing. Right. You know? and, and, and we were talking about shotguns. You know, I always thought for, for inside your home, just a 12-gauge shotgun with a, a double-up buck, the advantages is it's nighttime, somebody's breaking in. You might not be able to get a good beat on them, but a shotgun, you got a pattern. You're, you're just shooting that direction, and you're going to hit them. 
you know. Plus, less collateral damage. The uh, the pellets are less likely to go through the wall and kill a loved one in the next room. So you, right. you have that advantage. So a shotgun is a good. Uh, a shotgun is an excellent close quarters combat uh, weapon. I mean, you know, a double up bug gets nine thirty two caliber bullets screaming out there. Uh, and and if you get, you know, you could buy these flechette rounds. There's twenty flechette rounds in a in a uh, in, in each shell. Uh, and, and you, so you got every time you pull the trigger, you got twenty rounds screaming down range at them and stuff. So, right. Um, my, my 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 father's family were hillbillies in Kentucky. Uh, they used to when they made their bootlegging runs and stuff. What they do is they would uh, they would they would put nails inside, pack the nails, you know, inside the uh, shotgun shell like flechettes, and use that to to uh, uh, you know. Uh, just to, to have a little bit more penetrating power and stuff against the vehicles coming after them or whatever. So, right. um, you know, there's, there's many things. Uh, shotguns are very versatile. You can buy all kinds of rounds, slugs. You can even shoot small game with a shotgun. I mean, it's... Uh, right. It's a great uh, survival gun. That's why I don't... It I, is. I, I, it is. It's, it, you know, like a lot of point men would, would use it in the military in times back and... Sure. Um, I, I'm sure it'd be good in uh, you know crowd control. If you ever had a Bob coming to your house, <laughs> yeah. You know. and I mean, in World War One, they they call them trench guns. They had trench guns. I love those guns. I I, I I wish I could find some nowadays. But they they used to have the old uh, a lot of them were just uh, old Winchester twelve gauge uh, trench guns, pump action and stuff. Uh, those were tough fighting guns. There, you know, they're they're reliable and stuff. So. Right. Um, you know, and, and then on point, the, the point carries a shotgun because you want to put out a lot of lead really fast, okay? And it's, it's a suppressive fire thing. Uh, you, you see, you see, it's like you, you have a tool, uh, different tools for different, uh, things on a car or whatever. Well, guns are the same way. The, 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 there's different, there's, there's different, uh, guns for different jobs, okay? For example, uh, what, what, what was a submachine gun made for? Well, they're made so that you can unass a vehicle or a tank or paratroopers would use them so they could spray suppressive fire as they're coming down and so forth. Well, if your tank stops and you've got to go out the top and run to cover, it's nice if you can spray a bunch of bullets out there really fast to to get to cover. Or if you're in a protection detail and you've got to get from a car into cover somewhere, that's what you got a Mac 10 or an Uzi from, just to spray suppressive fire. So, so some machine guns aren't meant to kill people; they're meant to spray suppressive fire. Uh, and, and actually, even your big machine guns are meant to keep the enemy's head down. Okay, so uh, right. I mean, they, they will tear you up too. But the, the main the main point to those the, uh, a machine gun uh, is suppressive fire, especially a submachine gun. It is strictly for suppressive fire. You should not count on one. I mean, I, I saw this movie where, well, you know, it's so bogus because it was a, a woman commando, okay? And she knows <laughs> what she's doing. She was in the, the Gulf War, you know? So she knows about hand-to-hand combat. Uh, so so anyway, she goes in, and there's all these weapons laid out that she can choose from to do. So there's AK-47s, and and uh, there's uh, there's even like a, an M14 there, there's, there's, uh, M- M16s and stuff, and she picks up a, a submachine gun 
to fight <laughs> uh, innumerable other people with. And it's like, well, well no, that's not what you want. Uh, I would pick that M14, or at least if I'm worried about close quarters, I would pick the AK or the M16. So, right. uh, you know, it's different tools have different jobs. Uh, your pistols are for up close and personal. Right. Uh, uh, you know, it's like uh, an M16 and a, and a and a pistol is good for close quarters combat because, you know, when they get too close, you might have to just transition to the pistol. You know, right. uh, or if you're if you're out of ammo and you can't change your don't have time to change your am, a magazine on your rifle, then your pistol comes out because they're on top of you now. So, right. You know. Let's talk about uh, carrying pistols for a minute. I mean. uh Obviously, you're not usually carrying a rifle around public. We're, we're you know, pre-end of the world as we know it. Um, yeah. And, you know, it might be a good idea to carry a, uh, an arm, you know, at all times or at least as much as possible. In a way, you know, I've thought about this a lot of times. You know, a lot of, a lot of people advocate open carry because, you know, an armed society is a polite society. And at first, I didn't like that. I'd always thought, you know, you want to carry concealed, a little, a little bit of advantage with somebody not knowing that you're carrying. But then I kind of thought about it, and I was like, you know, it's, it you know, those uh, smash and grab thugs, you know, just a lot of this thuggery wouldn't happen if a lot of us were carrying sidearms and everybody oh, yeah. knew everybody yeah. was strapped walking around. <laughs> right, Exactly. So, I don't know, but, you know, if you're in a state that you can open carry or conceal carry, you know, maybe we should all just do it more often. Oh, and they have uh, constitutional carry in many states now, and that's where you don't need a permit to concealed carry. Right. Okay. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm of both by, when I, I, was a, I was a uniform cop for just one year, and, uh, uh, you know, of course, that, that was a, a definite deterrent. But uh, there were certain advantages to the uh, concealed carry because for four years I concealed my firearm. I was plain clothes and I had to conceal my firearm and stuff. And uh, uh, that gives you the element of surprise, you might say. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's like they're not expecting you to be strapped, but you are, and and that right. comes as a surprise to some people. So, right, um, you know, the, the the biggest thing in a fight is, you know, I. I when I was on the police department, I I went right away after my my second year. I, I went to the street anti crime unit, and we did mugging decoys and stuff like that. So it was really out in the street and stuff, and and uh, it was, uh, it was ultra violent. I got in a lot of fights, and then I went to vice and a lot of fights. Blah 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 blah. And uh, you know, I had a, a brown belt uh, from Korea in Taekwondo, and and I realized when I was a cop that I got in all these knockdown drag out fights. I rarely used any Taekwondo on anybody. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, you, you had this, you have to have this mindset that you have got to win. You have to win. In any kind of, uh, uh, you know, especially in a gunfight or whatever, there's no second place winners, okay? In a fight against any vicious criminal, there's no second place winner. You have to, you have to subdue them, you have to take them in. So, so how do you do that? Well, if you if you don't if you're outnumbered and you don't have the skill that they have and they're stronger than you, there's only one thing you can do, and that is you have to be far more vicious and ruthless than they are. You know, right? Uh, that it's just it's just it's just what you have to do. 
So, so what you don't have in strength or, or numbers or in skills, you have to make up for in viciousness. You have to be determined. It's like they do not, you do not have an option to not succeed. You have to overcome them. That's once again the, the, the do not quit, never quit, uh, uh, mentality. You know, so it is mentality and that mentality is important. Okay. Right. So. Right. Always keep that in the back you know, of your mind. Yeah, I, I wouldn't consider myself a tough guy or a badass at all, but but everybody I fought, I won every time, no matter how big they were, even no matter how many of them there were. I always won because I had to win. I had no choice but to win. So you always have to have that mentality, okay? And it's right. not about being a badass. It's about determination, okay? Right. So when you did carry... Uh, concealed. What did what did you carry, and how did you prefer to carry? Well, I, I had to carry in a, a circumstance where where uh, bad guys would sometimes search me. So uh, I, I I I had to carry my gun so that most of the time they wouldn't find it. So what I did, and I carried a big forty five, nineteen eleven uh, forty five. Uh, what I did is I wrapped rubber bands around the handle. And I would carry it in the small of my back, just tucked into my belt. And the rubber bands are to keep your uh, gun from sliding down your pants, uh, which happened many times for me. I'd be at a restaurant, and my gun would fall down my pants, and I'd have to pull it out from the bottom, and that really attracts attention, okay? Uh, they usually call the cops because you've got a gun, you know, whatever. Uh, and this was in Florida when people couldn't carry guns back then, so... Uh, right. but, but I put the rubber bands around it and then it never fell down my pants leg again. And, uh, I had people search me all the time. I actually, uh, one time they, they put a, uh, a, a, a unit, put a female cop out and, uh, I walked out and I said, well, you know, this is a new hooker. I haven't seen her, but I was working prostitution, uh, vice prostitution. So I went up to her and the, and the cops ran over and arrested me. Okay. Well, I, they didn't really arrest me because I was, that was, it was my job. But I was just doing my job. But when these cops searched me, they searched me. I had three sworn officers search me, top to bottom, and they did not find my forty-five automatic. A big gun like that, they did not find it. That's crazy. Wow. Um, and you carry it the small of your back? Yeah, wow. just in my belt, the small of my belt. Not even a holster or nothing, just... Well, you know, uh, criminals don't use holsters, so uh, I would never, I could never really carry it in a holster because that's a giveaway that you're a cop if you've got it in a holster, you know. Right. uh, Just a rubber band around it and the small on my back. Uh, And if I was picking up hookers, a lot of times I'd just sit on my gun because then if they were searching around my waist and whatnot, they, they would find nothing. And then the gun would be handy. It'd be easier to get from under my leg than it would be to get it from out behind my back. So, you know, just carry it where it's readily available and stuff, too. Right. So. Right. Yeah, I'm just curious because, you know, there's a lot of a lot of videos out there about concealed guns and the carrying and this, that, style. And I'm surprised you didn't carry the old Don Johnson, you know, under the arm. Working in Florida, <laughs> that is so, so easy to spot, though. You know, right, right. I mean, generally, if you had a gun on you, they would know that you're a good guy. You know, back in right. those days, times have changed now, but right back then, most criminals didn't carry guns. So, 
if you had a gun on you, they would be very suspicious of you. you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I just think, uh, obviously the, uh, the powers that should not be are definitely targeting, you know, gun rights ammunition manufacturers, uh, you know, you, they do not want us to have these things. And it's a, it's a huge hot, hot topic, I think for them. And, that's why you had to see this country taken down the way it was. You had to see this moral yeah. like decay and this, you know, false Jewish construct, whatever, however you word it, something like that, just foistered on us. And, uh, you know, like, it's just a mess. But that's the one thing they really don't like is the fact that we all have. No, they, they do not. Not only that, but, you know, it's, it's just a simple fact that, you know, when they constructed the Constitution, they had the separation of powers and the checks and balances between the legislative, the judicial, and the legislative, and the executive. And uh, these were supposed to be checks on each other, but you can see clearly that they do not check each other at all. Okay, so the final check uh, was the people against the government, and it was the Second Amendment. That the, the reason we have the right to bear arms is it's it's our way of maintaining power over the government because the government is supposed to obey us if if the government abolishes guns then we are in a position where the government rules us and, and i know that i know that the government rules us now but the way it was intended to be is we were supposed to rule them and and us having guns because like mao Zedong says political power grows out of the barrel of a gun People who have the guns have the political power. Take the guns away from the people, and only the government has the political power. It's a simple equation. It's very clear the way right. that it works. Right. So, so yes, right. that's why we got to fight for them. our rights to have them. And you know, I mean, but yeah. expect that you know, ammunition is going to get harder and harder to come by, and that's you know, they're going to keep throwing out this stuff and just keep seeing what sticks and. You know, can you see? Can you see in the media now what their next ammunition move is going to be? No, I haven't. Or let me hear it. They've kind of signaled it. They keep saying, "Well, the, uh, Ukraine doesn't have enough ammunition." So pretty soon you're going to see the the shelves emptying of ammunition again because they're going to they're going to take this ammo away from the civilian market to ship it off to Ukraine so that the Ukrainian oligarchs can turn around and sell it on the black market to just whoever <laughs> over right. at the third world somewhere, you know. It's they they probably don't even have the half the calibers that we use, and it's just right. probably some excuse. And You know, and unfortunately yeah, uh, for them, excuses. that there's already billions of rounds out there in the hands of private citizens, and, uh, you know, unfortunately that's going to be probably a, a form of currency when the collapse happens. That will be a prime form of currency, I think, for a while. Well, I think so. You know, even even here in, in Albuquerque, this was about 10 years ago, uh, in this local, local newspaper, they were saying that, like, uh, uh, the, the trade value of a, a box of 122 caliber rounds would go for a bar of soap or something. I mean, they were already trying to figure out what the bartering rate would be for ammo and stuff, so... Right. Uh, they would have it. It's just like when I thought about when I thought about things to store up for for a rainy day. Uh, 
believe it or not, one of the items that I thought would be of critical importance. And, it, and it's important because there's other ways that you can do this, but it's just so much easier to do it with this item. And that is you need fire because you need heat, you need to cook and stuff. So matches, just stock up on matches. Matches, you know? yes, lighters, uh, big lighters. A, 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 yeah, a match is an easy way to start a fire. You know, right. I mean, it's better than rubbing two sticks together or getting a magnifying glass in the sun. And I mean, there's many ways you can start a fire, but you know, right. uh, why make life hard for yourself? Make it easy for yourself. Luxury, right. you know, matches are luxury. Um, right. You know, plastic baggies will be another one. Those grocery baggies will be handy. You know, for all sorts of things. Oh yeah. You know, those, those disposable yeah, grocery be, bags. I, I right. mean, th- those things, things will be, become, be very useful. Right. They'll become valuable overnight in a way. So, you know, this this whole supply chain issue, this whole, you know, that's that's another thing I think they're going to be targeting soon is just, you know, we're not going to be able to have the ease of access to products at some point. And I think it'll, it'll hit us in a lot of different areas, of course, you know, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just, yeah. you know, just think of those things. As far as canned foods, Listen, listen the, the FDA makes them put uh, expiration date on, on, on all kinds of things. I've seen expiration dates on salt. Like in a year, the salt is going to be no good. Listen, in a million years, salt will still be salt. Okay? It's <laughs> right. not going to change into something else, all right? It's hard to make ch- salt change into something else. It's difficult to do that. But they, they make them do it. And, you know, there are some things that expiration dates are realistic and some things are not. For example, amongst medicines, nitroglycerin tablets for people with heart conditions, they last six months. Well, that's reasonable because it's nitroglycerin, and nitroglycerin is is unstable, okay? It's inherently unstable. So, yes, those lose their potency in about six months. But but then you get like an aspirin. They have they have expiration dates on aspirin. An aspirin 100 years from now will be the same as it is now. You know, so uh, in 19, 1971, I was up, me and a buddy were up in Alaska. We came upon some cabin way out in the middle of nowhere. And in that cabin, we found a can of chicken soup that was canned in uh, 1941. That was the, the expiration date was 1941. We opened that can up of soup, chicken soup and chicken noodle soup, and it tasted like it was canned yesterday. <laughs> wow. So, so it's good to know. I've often wondered about fun. that. Yeah, the true expiration yeah, they'll, they'll last a long foods. time. Because you read yeah, well, about botulism, you just, and you know you don't want to die yeah, of botulism. Yeah, botulism will have signs like the the can will be kind of expanded and puffed up and stuff. So, uh, right. and it only really affects certain certain foods. Doesn't uh, mostly acidic type foods. It doesn't right. it doesn't affect all foods. Stuff, but you you can read up on that and stuff. I mean, in the cat chicken soup, we were we were just hungry, so we we, we opened it up because we were uh, we were kind of wanting to eat that. You know, we'd be, be been eating rabbits for days, so right. you know, chicken soup was a delicacy. So, <laughs> you told me that story is a wild story. Guy bushwhacked in Alaska for how many years? Well, You're no, too, I, right? I, I went up there when I was 17 years old. Me and a buddy just went up there hunting and fishing all summer long. Just had a, people drop us out in the middle of nowhere, and we'd go hiking up in the hills and hunting and fishing. 
and stuff. So that's know, cool. Uh, <laughs> it was that's cool. Uh, it was great fun. It was great fun. We, you know, one time, uh, uh, my buddy decided to go to work for the highway department, but I wanted to keep going out in the woods. So uh, I was uh, hitchhiking north of uh, uh, Fairbanks to go to, they were building a new road to go up to Mount McKinley Park. So I thought, well, let me hike up that. You know, there's plenty of places to go out in the bush up there. Just walk off the road. I mean, it's just vast wilderness and stuff. So I got up, and that, that night they dropped me at this Bailey Bridge that was going over the river, and they put a chain across the bridge because the road wasn't inspected yet, you know, so they didn't want people driving on it. But the road actually went all the way through up to the Kenley Park. So uh, so I thought, well, I was going to just start walking up the road, and I thought, well, first I'll just sit here and smoke a cigarette. And, of course, I had, a, I had my hunting rifle with me. So I had my rifle uh, on the sling around my shoulder, and I was just sitting there smoking a cigarette. The guy comes up in the car, and he says, uh, hey, buddy, I'll give you 20 bucks to drop that chain. He, I, see, he thought I was a security guard. <laughs> and, it, and for a moment there, I thought, oh, no, no, nah, you're mistaken. I'm just sitting here smoking a cigarette. But then I realized fast enough that, oh, he thinks I'm a security guard and he's bribing me. I made like 270 bucks that night. Dropping <laughs> the chain for people. You know? awesome. and this is a part of survival, too. You see an advantage and you take advantage of it. You know? <laughs> right. It's, well, it's a mindset. Man, it there's no way we get everything. We had a long good talk loved it thanks for calling in ed appreciate that um gonna have to have you on again probably part two of this one because uh we could talk for hours on this topic and you know barely scratch the surface on some of these things and a lot of aspects to consider and think about and oh yeah yes there there is there's there's a lot i mean i got 28 years of doing it so you know right well mitchell i appreciate you coming on Thank you again for your time. Unfortunately, we okay, wrapped up with two hours. So you have a good night. Right. And uh, audience, okay, thanks for too. listening to RBN. Appreciate you all tuning in. And hopefully you enjoyed tonight's program. And we'll see you next week. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. My name is John, the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee that's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumer's house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted, it's one of the best beans that we can get, and you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10.
listening to Real Talk Radio. Only on the Republic Broadcasting Network. 